Welcome to another episode to the, from the Singular DTB podcast. My name is Miguel Martinez. I am the community manager for Singular DTB, and today joining us is actually Jake Craven from our entertainment division department. Hi, Jake. Hi, Miguel. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to actually um, talk to you and. Since our entertainment department is actually growing so much, um, we've only uh, spoke just a little bit, and I want to get to know more about who are you, what you've been, what you were doing, and what you're, uh, what you're actually going to be working on here in Simpler DTP because the the community is actually really interested uh, as well. So talk to talk to us a little bit more about you. Yeah, so I'm, you know, first off, really, really excited to be working at Singular DTV and to be a part of this just big, massive, awesome global initiative that we're undertaking. Um, my background personally uh, comes from the world of film distribution and new technology and how do you use technology to address pain points in the film distribution world. So I actually have a legal background and went to law school in, in Los Angeles where, where I, I live. And actually, a lot of people don't probably don't know that we actually have an LA team, um, which is a lot of sort of our um, content partnerships, um, content operations uh, team in LA. We're slowly growing pretty quickly. Uh, and... So I went to law school and specifically studied film distribution, film production, and, and the ins and outs of how the entertainment industry works from a legal standpoint also and from an economic standpoint, right? How does someone purchasing a movie ticket end up helping sustain a filmmaker's you know, career and pay their rent, right? How do, how do the two connect? Um, and what I've always been painfully aware of is that the traditional film distribution world, and I know you know we talk about this as a company a lot, it, it's just fundamentally broken uh, for a number of reasons. And you can go back into the history of film, the film industry and see the different points and where and why it's been broken. Um, and And so... What I always tried to do and in, in how I've guided my decisions and, and my career is looking to be at companies and in positions where we're actively trying to disrupt the traditional model and create something that is more sustainable. Uh, prior to coming to Singular DTV, I was working at a, a independent film distribution company uh, that's specifically focused on theatrical distribution, and how do you create going to a movie theater something that's more sustainable? Normally, going to theaters is one of the sort of economically just the worst aspects to releasing a film. And the, the costs are so high to it and the overall revenue so low in comparison, mostly because of those costs, uh, that it's not – it's inherently flawed. And – so I was at a company that was building out and creating technology that really helped independent films get into theaters across the country and took films that otherwise would have 
been in maybe a movie theater in New York and Los Angeles for a week and never be seen again and put them into hundreds, if not thousands of theaters across the country. Uh, but as I was working in with this company and really diving in and, and engaging with exhibitors, the movie theater chains and, and filmmakers, I really was trying to connect the different data points because I, I firmly believe that the key to effective distribution and marketing of a film is data and how you use data. And the traditional and even even when you had a we had a technology platform, uh, the data was still siloed and you're still fighting to get a report from one company and sending a Google sheet to another. And then all of a sudden the print of your movie doesn't get to Nashville for a screening and 200 people get turned away. Uh, it, it, the the mechanisms were fighting against the traditional technology paradigm, right, of siloed data structures. And that's when I started reading about blockchain technology and the possibilities and the opportunities for a sort of clear, open, decentralized um, data structure for films where in real time, you can see where your print of the film is and people who's buying tickets. And then that revenue is being distributed in real time to the, the distri distributor or the filmmaker. So they can then, in real time, put it back into the marketing to keep pushing the film. You know, Traditionally, in the film world, you would, you would have to wait 30 days just to get paid for people going to watch your movie in theaters. And that's if you're the distributor. If you're a filmmaker, you then have to wait an additional... Uh, you know, 120, maybe 90 days. So wow. actually it's 30 days after the end of the quarter that you get a report. And that's not even getting paid. That's assuming that you'd make back the money that went into the film. But just to find out how the film's doing, right, to really see the clear data of how many people are seeing the film, how much revenue it's generating, you have to wait every, uh, each quarter to get a report. And so it just takes so much and so long that how can you run an effective marketing campaign and get people to watch the film without dramatically misspending your funds, your marketing funds, if you don't actually know the data in real time? And blockchain presented that opportunity. And so as I was reading about this, I was talking to my colleagues in the distribution world, kind of just saying, hey, have you heard about this stuff? Like, this is really interesting. And you know, a lot of people say, well, do you think it's more than just a fad? you think it will ever have an actual application? And I, my answer was yes, right? One of my core beliefs in that sort of guiding principles is if I come across a technology that I maybe don't get or am a little you know, concerned by, if you will, just because it's overwhelming, uh, it's a sign that I need to learn more. Right, you know, you can be a person who kind of sh turns the door on new technology until you're already too late, or you can be someone that embraces new technology and embraces change. Right, early early adopters. Exactly, exactly. Oh yeah, uh, always be an. I, I love being an early adopter. If you tell me you have an application you're testing or a new product or something like, I I always want to sign up and try and give feedback. You know, I I've been a beta tester for many applications in the iOS 
I, I like I, me personally. I actually enjoy giving feedback. I actually enjoy going over to all, all these types of uh, new applications that are uh, that are you know coming out all about. And I like going there and it's like, um, listen, I love your application. I would like to get into the best better testing and and so on and so forth because I like being ahead of the curve. And it's not from the standpoint of being the first one there. It's from the first. It's from the standpoint of actually investing myself in doing something and building something along with that. I like being part of the community, which is why I love our singular DTB community so much because they are the ones that are actually out there uh, calling us on guys we should we should be doing this and so on and so forth. And many brilliant ideas have come out of all of this, of this idea of community and engagement, which is actually why blockchain technology is so great because it's not only about technology itself, but if it's a social movement, which you just pointed out, taking something from just paying a ticket to just watch a movie and entertain yourself, which it is something that could be it could be looked at from a standpoint of it's uh, selfish just for the entertainment. The moving the entertainment into the blockchain technology actually helps you get it yourself entertained, but it helps the economy of the filmmaker helps the economy of everyone involved in that movie and helps the movement keep, keep growing and growing. We're in the, we're in actually in the cornerstone of a new era of society. And sorry, I don't mean to preach uh, or sound very like prophetic or anything. I think I've been hanging around with Zach LeBeau way too much this, this last couple of days. I'm sorry. No, I no, but that, but you, but you bring up a good point. And this is actually, it's interesting. You know, before I heard the word decentralized, I was so part of where my experience came was was movie theaters are traditionally ninety percent empty during the course of a week. Uh, they fill up, right. or, or actually, better put, ninety percent empty Monday through Thursday. So there's a massive amount of excess capacity that's not being utilized, and it's crazy because these theaters are the, these massive twenty four plexes are spending so much money just to keep the lights on. Then, but be, and a big reason for why there's so much excess capacity isn't because there's not enough good content, right? We are in a massive content era. So much good content is being created right now. It, you could never watch it all if you tried. And that's so exciting. But it's wild that theaters are still empty because they're still just stuck in a traditional mindset of I'm going to put this movie in for a week and it's going to play for the whole week and hopefully people show up. They probably won't. Well, so what I tried to do and what we did and, and were successful with was what we called democratizing theatrical distribution, which is really decentralizing. We put the power into the hands of audiences and let them decide what movies played in their local movie theater. And inevitably, it allowed films to come up, come up and come about that everyone else in the film industry overlooked because they thought, oh, no, this isn't good enough or no one will care. But there's a community and this community is passionate. And when you really engage them and give them the opportunity to come together and experience this and like let their voice come together or be heard, if you will, uh, it, it's really exciting. And so for us and for me and, and how I look at the role that we're playing at Singular DTV, it's a big, big part of that is listening to the community and how do we make our 
dApps, our applications, and the content that we're creating and the content we're partnering with, you know, how do we uh, use this technology to let the community, our community, inform us of what needs to be, what we need to be bringing to them in a way where it's not the sort of old school mindset of I'm the guy who makes decisions. I say whether or not this film is good or bad, right? The traditional film acquisitions and partnership model of very of being it's very centralized right there's someone saying this is the movie i want we're getting it right or this is the movie you get to see in my movie theater it's and we're just no longer in that place and so for us it's how do we utilize the community to help us make informed decisions and and guide us in different ways about the type of films and content that they want to see because i assure you when you do that you you'll be surprised you know nine out of ten times you you bring you bring quite a point and it's real interesting to me because in puerto rico um there is only one major um movie theater that you can go to and it's a it's a family right thank you and there has been movies that i'm really looking forward to go and watch and obviously they're they're not blockbusters they're they're really um independent films and if you actually want to watch them you have only a window of like four days a week or two weeks perhaps and that's it and by the time you actually are able to see them it's already it's already gone and you can't see them anymore or if they actually like um they don't put it in their in their um in their normal theaters they just put them in two fine art theaters which are only located in san juan and you have to pay extra because you're getting this very very expensive issues shared if you get to drink wine and beer you have this whole experience but i just want to enjoy the movie or sometimes there's been movies that are already on DVD and they're just watching them on the fine arts, but we're not able to, and we're not able to say yes, I want to watch, I want to watch this movie longer than this other movie. But you had you made deals um, mm-hmm. with distributors to get other movies, and it's it really sucks. And they've been pushing out and pushing out uh, more and more into not letting any other cinema chain uh, come to Puerto Rico. And there's only, it's only this one. It's only that one. There's only one auto cinema in Puerto Rico that it's still alive and it's in Arecibo. And I used, and I tend to go there just because I keep, I, I want the little guys, I want the independent guys be able to actually survive. And it's actually even, it's, it's actually cool because you like the surround sound of your car. You, you, you go there, it's actually cheaper. You can bring your own pizza and stuff. It's it's really cool. It's like a it's it's a it's a great experience, and you get to watch like the brand new movie that just came out. Like right now, you can go and watch any Marvel Cinematic Universe movies or anything that it's trending that week. But they only have the movie for that one week because they only have one screen to show everything. If it's really good, it will stay during two weeks, which it actually makes money. Um, well, so I'm you know you bring up a good point, and, I, and I'm curious because actually. I'm not as familiar. 
Are there, and you mentioned one, is there really only one independent art house movie theater in? There are, there are other movie theaters, but the only way that you're, they, they screen movies is after they're, they've already been commercially released on DVD or huh. streaming platforms or such. If I, it, or if it's an independent movie that Caribbean cinema didn't like, didn't want to do the red carpet or they didn't want to do the the premiere showcasing then they have to be creative and they have to go to this other sort of fine arts mm -hmm. um theaters in bellas artes in guaynabo or santurce in san juan or any other fine arts kind of uh kind of things and then they have to like rent this huge screen and then showcase it there but they're not designed for that so sound you sacrifice sound and sacrifice everything so just so you're able to showcase your movie, which is one of the reasons why Zach LeBeau and and Kim Jackson, actually, I believe they wanted to, uh, you know, scatter around Puerto Rico and see if they could deliver an answer. But then Hurricane Maria happened, so that didn't, that, that you know, set everything back a little well, bit. So we're, we don't know But, but you that. bring up an interesting point in... in and this is a big thing for me. I, I'm a big, big supporter and proponent of the independent art house movie theater. And part of the reason for that is because when you, when it's an independent smaller theater, maybe one to two screens, they have a lower overhead. Oftentimes, especially the ones that are still open, they are in some way nonprofit organizations now. And so they have a board of directors, they collect donations to help them renovate and stay open. But they're able to be more fluid and creative and almost you know data driven in terms of their programming decisions and if you are someone that's a part of their community and this is a big thing they are very community driven and, and as a film as a film distributor or as a filmmaker those are the places where you want your film to play because they have a calendar and people sign up and they're on the newsletter and they want to go there they want to go where they feel like they're a part of a community and they trust the movies that are there, but it's not a one-way street. There's dialogue. And, and I've had it with films where a film distributor will, or excuse me, a theater will call me or a film that I was releasing and will say, you know, a couple of people from my community came and they were mentioning that they want to see this film. I know this is a film you're, you're releasing. Uh, we'd like to book it. You know, they're listening to the people that, are in the community and that are going and watching the film, the films in their theaters. And so, but they also have some flexibility to be able to kind of program it and to fit things in. And, and that sort of, you know, openness and the ability to change and to kind of be flexible is something that I think is a staple of, especially the independent theaters that are still alive and thriving today. They had to adapt uh, when everything, sh the sort of industry shook up um, for people who aren't, you know, aware, the film, the the independent theater world had went under a massive change when in the late 2000s, we, or I don't know what decade you would call it now, um, the industry shifted into digital cinema. So using digital cinema packages or what we call DCPs to exhibit films, but they had to get brand new projectors that are these massive, expensive things. And that also set up this kind of very 
backwards subsidy program where now film distributors and therefore filmmakers are paying the companies that own the projectors because to pay them back for covering the cost to put them in the theaters because it was a whole mess. And it is still a mess. But a lot of independent theaters were not able to make that transition into digital and ultimately closed down as a result. And I, the ones that have stayed alive, I think in many ways are thriving in more so than the major multiplexes because they've learned how to, how to use data and how to talk to their community and really work with the people. And, and, you know, it's, it effectively, they come to a consensus with their, the community that they're in, in terms of what kinds of films are going to be playing, when are they going to play, you know, what types of events are they going to do? You, even what concessions are they going to have? Are you, are you just going to have popcorn or you know what you need to, I need a muffin and some coffee when I go to watch a movie. And those are the types of things that allow those small businesses to thrive. And I think are fundamentally also the things that we are really trying to implement with blockchain technology. I know it's a, it's like a roundabout way to bring it back to this core technology and, and our reason for being, but how do you create that sort of sounding board and right. that that openness and that consensus at scale on a global level? And that's really what what we're trying to do, right? Yes. Yeah, so that that's that was going to be my next question. So you basically just explained the whole pains of just trying to get your film into a theater and the pains that the theater actually has because of this whole we need, we everyone needs to sustain themselves. Everyone needs to create their own business models and everyone needs to be on the same page in the same formats and everyone needs to play ball all together within their own sets of rules and and governance all together. But blockchain makes everything so transparent that no one has to be in this defense mode all the time of, am I going to get paid? Am I going to get paid? Am I going to survive this month? Am I going to be able to pay rent? Am I going to be able to make a profit? Will I actually be able to to buy uh, to, to buy food this month? Will I actually be able to make uh, good on the promises that I deliver to the, the producer, mm -hmm. the, the filmmaker, the, the actors, and so on and so forth? So... In, in an ideal world where everyone is, you know, the singularity of it all, how, how, are, we, how are we as Singular DTP answering this, you know, closing this gap? How are we building this bridge um, where people come to us, they tokenize themselves, they, they, raise, um, they, they raise their ease, they're actually, they make the movie. I'm going to take Javier Borrillo uh, as an example with the, his loose token. And how is he from Guatemala going to cut his movie? Then say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on either vision. And what happens next from your perspective, from from your experience? What happens next at that point well, in time? So that's it's a good question, you know. And I think that's why we are building out the video on demand platform, right? You need to close the gap. But what is the unique value that the video on demand platform presents? For the creator for, and, and for the community, for our token holders, like everyone. Like a, I don't want to say 360 deal for everyone, the, everyone that participates in this economy. Well, and I think to start, um, if you look at it from the creator, right? If you're an independent creator and you're releasing your content on the platform, because of the, the type of transparency and real-time reporting 
and potentials for real-time revenue distribution, right, that comes with a blockchain, sort of a decentralized distribution platform. As a creator, you can make more informed decisions and get more value out of less money that you're spending on marketing your film. You can, you can really be targeted and have greater returns on your efforts to then getting that content out around the world. You, know, you, you need to know where people are responding the most to the film and then also be able to take the, utilize the revenue that's coming in from people watching or buying or renting or downloading a film and put that back into the marketing campaign to keep spreading the word and to keep getting to find out about it. Where normally, if you were to release a film on iTunes, and even if you were to go, there, there are companies that allow filmmakers to do it directly themselves without the need for a distributor. You're paying someone as a well, you know, middleman and aggregator. Uh, and I'm not going to get into a conversation about that. Um, but it, with, with, you know, you release your film on iTunes, you still don't know what your sales are. You do not know how many downloads have taken place for several months. And how are you supposed to have an effective campaign if you don't know how many people are buying your film, right? It's if, you're, if you have a token campaign, how are you supposed to properly you know, market and, and engage and drive people to back your campaign if you don't know how many people are actually purchasing tokens? So that's such a big thing that really can't be um, under, understated. Uh, or overstated, sorry. Um, and and I think that's a big value proposition, but that also by allowing that to happen and, and more content creators to to get more value out of uh, out of the resources they have. And, and and I think this is a natural progression and apologies if, if I'm going way too big picture, but if you look at the evolution of the film industry for the past 30 years in terms of how technology has driven things and what technology has allowed people to do, you know, you go back to the advent of digital video in the late 90s and 2000s or, or 90s and 2000s. And that allowed anyone to now make a film. They didn't need to buy a film camera, you know, a, a 18 millimeter camera to make, or 16 millimeter, sorry, um, to make their film or 35 millimeter. You could anyone can now start making films themselves at a high quality with a, at a much lower cost, and so the technology impacted that barrier to entry in terms of cost. And then we had an advent of digital distribution, right? Video on demand. Well, okay, what is that? You know, now all of a sudden you can make a film for a lot less, but also release it around the world without needing to pay for DVDs to get shipped everywhere or for it to be in theaters all of a sudden you have an access thing now there's a lot of access and then over the you know in the late you know 2010 or 2000 you know around there you then had crowdfunding really came about and all of a sudden it, it created this sense of access to funds right and access to to money now filmmakers could the bridge the gap so now anyone could potentially access the funding they needed to really you know channel and 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 get get to that point where even you have the funds you need to make a film even though the costs are cheaper and you can now release it anywhere but at the same time all of these new technologies you know they were all driven to this point of of lowering the barrier to, of entry 
to filmmakers and for audiences. Now, I think we've reached a point where those technical innovations have hit their capacity in terms of the overall opportunity. And I think a big thing there, and this goes back to to the, the example that you brought up, is those are all well and good, but they're still very isolated and limited to a small pool of select individuals and, and many times in select pool of countries, right? So what right. we're doing now with our platform is utilizing blockchain technology to now take all of these technical uh, innovations that have gotten us to where we are today and truly making them available globally. So anyone can release their film anywhere in the world. And that will, I think, be such a fundamental shift, right? Filmmakers and, and anyone can truly now make films wherever they are, because even though you had digital cinema or you know digital video, or and and you you only cost less to make a film, and and you could release that film on a digital distribution platform. If you were in a certain country, one you know maybe you could get a hold of cameras and gear, but your funding was incredibly limited. You maybe had a limited, a very small amount of maybe government financing you could possibly access, probably not a whole lot. And even that is very bureaucratic in terms of who gets which funding to make films. And then if you make the film, then you have to then bring in a foreign sales agent to go sell it, to get it onto platforms. And even in your country, many cases, it'd be really difficult for your film to be released on a platform that's available in the country where you live. There was a release, a recent study re- released by the Mexican Film Institute, and it broke down data in terms of how films produced and financed and, and just made in Mexico by Mexican filmmakers are released around the world, or released in, sorry, released in just, let's say, in just Mexico. And they looked at Netflix, for example. In Netflix, fil- Netflix Mexico, films produced in Mexico made up 7% of all the films on Netflix in Mexico. That's crazy. Only 7% of the films in Netflix Mexico were actually made and for and by producers and filmmakers in Mexico. Like, there is still a massive barrier to entry. And it got to a point that in Mexico, the government actually launched their own video-on-demand streaming platform to give content creators their uh, an opportunity. And so to, to, to release their film digitally. And, and, and I think all of that kind of goes to, you know, this is a long-winded way of getting to the value proposition that we're presenting and we're building out. You know, Tokit presents really exciting opportunities for filmmakers around the world to be able to, you know, tokenize themselves and potentially, you know, support their creative endeavors. Uh, the distribution platform is a necessary uh piece of that puzzle to now close the gap and allow them to distribute those films in an effective and efficient way anywhere around the world. And so now a filmmaker in Guatemala can have his film released in Greenland and connect with audiences in Greenland effectively. And I remember in the 90s, I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 85. I'm not afraid to say that. (laughs) Um, In the 90s, there were a lot of local um, Puerto Rican movies, and they actually would have to go to this very sketchy financing agencies to get money. Uh, they would have to make a whole 
bunch of loans um, to get the movies, and those movies would only be released in their local channels. And immediately, everyone in Puerto Rico would be like, oh, this is, this is a TV channel movie, and it sucks. And no one would watch it. Or those who would watch it, it would be like because they didn't have cable. And in places in Puerto Rico, it's like everything mm-hmm. that it's local, it's not good. It's not good, or it's just very bad. So there is that there is that mindset. In the after after I'm gonna say 2004 and on, there was a change in the government, and we started actually outreaching uh, to people to actually come down to Puerto Rico and uh, and, and film, and were given tax breaks and such. And a lot of the people actually started coming to Puerto Rico, and alliances were done, and then people would actually like put independent filmmakers in Puerto Rico were given chances to actually make their own movies. And you mentioned that after 2000 technology changed so much that you didn't have to buy these extremely expensive cameras that you would have to go to these specific people to get them to rent you the cameras. And then they would be like, okay, so what are you working on? So I'm going to be, I'm going to become the executive producer. So you, at that point in time, I will lend you the camera. So you don't have to pay me, but I'll dictate how your movie gets made. And then we, that that was the 90s way. And the 2000 way, you could buy your own camera, you could order it anywhere. And it was, you know, it was extremely simple. And, but the problem was that funding, funding was the main problem in the Puerto Rico in, in you know, independent film uh, industry. So they didn't want to do any more the whole let's go get financing um, loans or anything like that. So they would reach out to the community in the States. Hey, can you, I'm doing, I'm shooting this. This is the, this is the demo reel. This is what we're doing. This is a script. And then they would invest in the movie. Then it would spread out that, oh, it, so it's no longer a true, a real independent Puerto Rican movie. It's already been tainted by the U.S., so, and I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about, you know, how people would perceive such whenever you would say, so it's, this is being distributed by, I'm going to say, uh, Miramax Films or something like that. And people would stay away from it. Now, Singular DTV back in November released mm-hmm. the Liga token. And Liga is an answer to, to this. Liga, we want to invest in independent, uh, fil- independent filmmakers, independent musicians, independent uh, artists who paint and we want them to we want to invest in their projects and we want them to be able to bring their content on our distribution platform and at that point in time put the spotlight back in puerto rico because yes i'm i'm i'm, I'm from there so I'm, I, I might as well be a little bit biased but i have to say we have some of the best talented uh people with a lot of a lot of uh, ideas, and we don't ha- always have the best resources to actually make this. And the island is so small that everyone knows each other, so uh, things can escalate very quickly, just like it would happen at a dinner table with a, at a family gathering. So everyone, uh, you know, the uncle and the cousin are already talking behind your back and such. So that happens there. But when you're you're able to actually portray your art and get it from Puerto Rico to the world. And we actually say that in Puerto Rico, desde Puerto Rico al para el mundo. From Puerto Rico to the world, it's actually, you know, the best thing that you can do um, because you are not limiting yourself by by 100 by 35, which is 
that's why we that's what they say Puerto Rico merchants 100 mm -hmm. miles by 35 miles we're actually we're actually crossing borders we're not lim limiting ourselves to just Puerto Rican market or just the US market or just Latin American market or just Hispanic market we can reach out anyone in the world through blockchain technology and we can make sure that whatever effort you put in as far as emotional work any type of effort it's not only about getting paid it's about saying yes i did it and having that gut feeling that yes this was awesome i was really excited when i saw uh, javier borrillo's loose token come out and then i saw that it it, it succeeded i was extremely excited because I, I met javier before launching all of this i actually met him right after hurricane maria and we started talking and he was really interested in what he wanted to do. And I said, dude, you can you can go all the way with token. And then he was kind of like, I need to research more about blockchain. And he did it. And I'm, I'm really excited about his movie. I'm really excited about the article that uh, Zach LeBeau wrote about the, mm -hmm. the Guatemalan filmmaker industry. And now that you mentioned all of this and you shed some light on all the... All all the things. Yes, definitely. Our distribution platform gives filmmakers the opportunity to say, I can still do it the old way, but if I go this way, I am actually going to be able to talk to the world. My art is going to, my final product, my final cut, my director's cut, with no one to tell me, get this part out because it's going to be PU13 or it's going to be R or it's going to be like this. You can just say, this is my director's cut. This is how I envisioned this movie. And I wanted to share it with the world. And, I, and I'll and i know where it's actually going towards to. And then I can put my money in that area and invest in it. So people are aware more of that. And then, you know, you have the tools. We have the technology to invest in people for the people and by the people. Um, so everything just makes, just yeah, works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? No, and, and I think that's the thing. It, it really... We, it's hard to 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 fully sort of convey the 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 unique value that having the platform be tied in and, and really you know how that really closes the, the loop and what opportunities that presents and you know I think people will see it very quickly uh, when it's launched and the content that we have on there and and the different types of content and creators that are on there but you know, it's really about removing barriers to entry and the need for middlemen. And even if you are a distribution company, right? I, and this goes, this brings it full circle back to talking about movie theaters and what potential does blockchain technology have for movie theaters? What we like to say, what, right. what we I was like to ask say about that. is that blockchain technology, and this is as we talk with the industry and, and a lot of, we are having countless meetings and everyone is so excited about this technology. It's really hard to like everyone. Everyone always asks, "Well, what are the meetings go? You know, what is it like when you talk to people?" And I always say, "Really, really well." And then by the end of the meeting, I have that person; they get it because they're like, "Oh yeah, I immediately see the value in this." But what we're doing, what blockchain technology presents, is you can eliminate the thirty percent of the job, or maybe even more. Right, just the like the royalty rights revenue management, you know, the just the really nuts and bolts painful part of the process. If you can eliminate those via the technology, via 
you know, smart contracts distributing revenue to the appropriate rights holders and, and participants in real time, you know, and real time data analysis and reporting. If you can eliminate the 30 to 40% of the job of working in film distribution, and whether it's a theater or, you know, if you're independent theater, you're probably the person taking the tickets is probably the guy who also books the movies and is probably the owner of the theater, right? It, you free up a, a significant amount of time to focus on the important things, actually getting people to find out about the films or to make films or to, you know, market the films. It, it, it really is, it's not an incremental benefit. It's a pretty, it's a really significant benefit and, and change that we're driving in the film industry. You know, if you're freeing up almost 40% of people's time and, and resources in order to allow them to, you know, to more effectively utilize that time towards what they really want to be doing and why we all got in this business in the first place, right? To help, for me, it's to help independent content creators create their films and get that content out to audiences around the world, right? That's why we're here and that's what we want to be doing. And this technology, I think, allows us to do it on a level that hasn't really existed yet. You know, closing the gap a little bit here um, as we as we descend to our final destination last minute. Um, I've been traveling way too much. Uh, I have I have to ask, how do you see how do you see someone that tokenizes themselves succeeds their campaign? Will go and add their content into our distribution platform and take that to a theater like would you say should they do should they do all theater premiere for a couple of days and then then go to Ethervision or the distribution platform or should they go distribution platform first and whatever it sticks go to a three you know to a theater re theatrical release or how do you envision all of that being happening and the token and the blockchain. I know it's extremely early to, to you know talk about this, but in your utopia utopian mind, how would you see this all, all so coming I together? I actually like to take the approach that no you know no shoe fits every film. That is really I don't know that you get what I'm saying, right? It's not one size fits all. That's what I meant to yeah, say. Yeah. No shoe. Thank yeah. you. No, no cookie yeah, cutters. No cookie cutters, please. Film. That's that's clearly the right phrase. <laughs> um, no, and so for any filmmaker, and what we really want to do, and and I think the utopia version vision of this is creating it where anyone has just true freedom of choice and the ability to release, however they see and, and whatever makes the most sense for their film. This is a big thing that I fundamentally believe in. There's no release campaign for a film in terms of when am I going into theaters? When am I releasing it digitally? How long am I in theaters? Which theaters should I be in? It's never, no two film is the same. Maybe when you're at the, the tentpole blockbuster level and they're just, every want to be everywhere all the time, you know, great. You know, if that's what you can do, power to you. But from an independent film standpoint, independent creator standpoint, every film is different. And so 
the utopia, the best case scenario is our technology allows content creators to truly make decisions that make that that work for their film, not based on what works for other films or what some preconceived notion of this is what you need. You know, I have I have a lot of issues with their aspects of the independent film distribution world that are very much based on you need to be in in the U.S. at least you need to be in ten of the top twenty five DMAs, uh, you know, domestic or whatever markets. Uh, or you need to your film needs to be in a theater for a week in New York and a week in LA. I hate that because that's it's like that type of sort of broad you know to to use it to centralize way of looking at how a film should be released is just archaic and outdated. Every film needs to be able to be handled in its own way. Some films it makes sense to open it for two weeks in Boulder, Colorado. And then maybe release it digitally or go to other theaters. You know, you don't need to open a film in L.A. L.A. is not the center of the universe, right? New York is not the center of the universe. And what we need to do and what we are doing and why it's so exciting is creating an ecosystem that allows content creators to make those decisions independently and really work with what makes sense for their film and not be bound to some traditional uh, mindset or approach or prerequisite for a, how a film should be released. Awesome. Yeah. It just, um, it reminds me of um, one of my classes in college where they talked about how Hollywood was actually founded and it was because of the controlling way that happened in New York by a particular character that we all know and I am not going to mention. And that's why everyone moved to California way, way, way far and started Hollywood because they wanted to do things different. And now we're in the we're in this new era where everyone just wants to do to do it their own way. And now it's it can happen. So I think I think our I think I think I'm going to bring you back in a couple of um, later episodes along with um, Jason our VP of entertainment because I would like to dive a little bit more about the entertainment industry yeah. as, as a whole, oh, yeah. the, the history and There's, you where know, we're going. The entertainment industry is actually very cyclical um, and I won't get into it too much right now because I know we're, we're kind of running out of time, but uh, you, just to, for a lot of people don't know, in the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, and even into the, yeah, I guess basically until the 40s, uh, the film studios had a system where they would sign actors to contracts and that contract said you as an actor can only make movies for paramount for the next five years and you have to make x number of movies for us and talent were stuck and they were not free to make creative decisions about really what they were doing and that's why you had a lot of people who made the same movie over and over and over again you know, it was very much this sort of, we are the big company, we control access, we control who make, who becomes a star, you're doing what we're saying. And going from that point, you know, there is a cycle of the collapse of those centralized models, opening the doors for really exciting independent film movements and, and flourishes. And it's happened multiple times, and maybe we can talk about this at a later date, but 
I think we are heading into one of those really exciting moments in the film industry where independent content is going to thrive. And it already, you know, there's already, like we said, this is a great time to be, you know, for content, so much content, but it's still a select pool of people that are getting that access and ability to make content. I think the difference now is it's, it's not just films in the U S or in Europe, right? It's global. How, how does this movement benefit people worldwide? Definitely. We're going to have to talk a little bit more about that in a later episode. Jake, thank you so much for your time. Uh, as always, everyone here is busy working to disrupt the entertainment industry and create a our entertainment studio based on blockchain technology. Thank you so much for everything that you do. It was really instructive. And uh, I don't know. We'll guess uh, we'll see each other in, a, in the next yeah. meetup or something. Anything you want to share with our community? You know, I think I probably talked way too much already, but I, I appreciate getting the chance to, <laughs> to, to talk and kind of share my thoughts on this. It's something that I know I'm passionate about and I know everyone at our company is passionate about. So it's, it's exciting to be a part of. And I definitely feel fortunate to be in this position. Well, again, thanks, Jay, for joining us. Uh, thank you, the listener, for joining us. Thank you to the community for supporting Singular DTB. Again, my name is Miguel Martinez, Community Manager for Singular DTB, and we'll see each other a little later time. Take care. Bye.